Cape Talk. Plan B. With Rebecca Davis, who last week said this. There's nothing I like more than a good public shaming. Did you hear there what you said last week? There's nothing you like more than a public shaming. I think that you're doing it to me right now, John. <laughs> well, I might be. Sean? And we dance all night to the best song ever. So how is it publicly shaming to Rebecca Davis that I play a snatch of one of One Direction's most famous songs? Jean, would you please hand over this envelope which contains the tickets to the One Direction concert which Rebecca Davis so desperately wanted me to obtain for her and which I did out of love and respect for the woman. <laughs> and which I paid for. Like I, this, no, no, no. Yes, I, I paid for mine and you paid for yours. Are you ashamed that it is now public knowledge that you are going to One Direction? Not in the slightest. They're the biggest band in the world. And I mean, you might think that that's absurd. I certainly do. But they're a cultural phenomenon. It's, um, it's a moment, John. It's the zeitgeist. I'm, I'm, I'm there in an anthropological... Um, oh, rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> to see, I want to see what the, the, the hysteria is like. I want to soak up the, you know, the, 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 the now, John. And I want to hear those awesome, <laughs> awesome hits. <laughs> okay, let, let me pretend that you're serious. Because <laughs> in a sense, it is an opportunity for those of us who were not able to go to concerts by the Beatles and other mm. groups through the 70s and 80s because we live in South Africa and groups like that weren't coming to South Africa or we lived overseas but were too young for that phenomenon to go and experience it 50 years on. Yes, absolutely. No, I am being, I am being serious, John. I do think that, um, that their success is, is, you know, it's monstrous and it's easy to forget that if you're not part of a sort of tweeny musical crew, it's easy to disdain them. But they literally are the biggest band in the world and I think there's something very interesting about that and I want to go and see what it is. That, 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 gets the, that gets their fans that way. I told my daughter this morning that one of them has decided to quit the band to have a normal life, and what he means by normal life is not having his amatory peccadilloes exposed <laughs> on Twitter when he goes swimming in a Thai pool with somebody, not his girlfriend or fiancé or wife or whatever it is. That seems to him to constitute a normal life. But I said to Emma, what's his name, the one who's not coming? Zane, Zane Malik. Zane Malik. And she said, it sucks a bit. Do you think it sucks a bit or a lot? I think it sucks, and I think that that the woman he was photographed with in Thailand is basically going to be the Yoko Ono of our time, since she's basically destroyed One Direction. I can't even imagine the kind of abuse she must be getting in England. Seriously, though, um, I do think it's sad that Zayn's gone. He was the only Muslim, not Lily White, member of the band, which was pretty interesting for a start. I mean, he was also he seemed slightly more sort of politically interesting than the rest of them. He would tweet about Palestine and such like. So, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's a shame that he's left. And I'm sure it heralds the beginning of the end for the rest of them. Well, I've made more than enough money to comfortably yeah. ride out the end of it all. They have, <laughs> they have. The Beatles comparison, says Chris in an email, oh, please, but I'm impressed with your fortitude. You couldn't pay me enough to go. I'd much rather stay here at home and experience load shitting. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's, it's easy to sit on my lofty, morally superior perch and scorn those who cut themselves because Zayn Malik is leaving a boy band, even a phenomenally successful boy band. But it is extraordinary that people feel so strongly about something which seems so inconsequential. Well, I love that tweet that was doing the rounds this morning saying, 
Middle-aged men responding to Zayn Malik leaving. How, why are One Direction is so weird? Middle-aged men. My hero may have punched someone, but he's still basically the Messiah. I mean, the very same people who are probably disdaining um, teenagers for being upset about Zayn Malik are probably those who are also up in arms about Jeremy Clarkson's dismissal. And really, I mean, that is something I could not give two hoots about, on the other hand. It's a generational nobody's, thing. Well. Nobody's started a trend cut for Clarkson. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, actually, John. The amount of, I mean, the amount, the amount of, of distress about Jeremy Clarkson being rightly fired for mooring someone, I mean, I, I don't understand that at all. Uh, you spent a little bit of time, or quite a lot of time, with the Sescorner march earlier today? Yes, I did, and wasn't that interesting? Well, sort of sort of interesting. Um, it was interesting mainly for the arrival of the ANC's Marius Franzmann, who had previously sent out a press statement announcing that the ANC would be at the march in order to receive the marches and to divert the marches into a Cape Times boycott protest. And, um, of course, no sooner had Franzman arrived that he w- than he was basically booed off off stage by um, Seth Connor, who showed absolutely no desire to have him there, which is interesting and obviously a bit humiliating for Franzman. I just spoke to him, actually, and he had a number of defences, one of which was that he says this is evidence of some leadership split in Seth Connor because he claims he had a meeting with Seth Connor on Monday where Loisa Nkola, one of the leaders, said that he should come. And um, it's he says that's evidence that... Nkola and fellow leader Andile Lili are fighting in some way. But he also says that he believes he offended Andile Lili by making it clear that the ANC was not a fan of the, the looting and the plundering that ten, and the poo checking that tends to happen at these marches. And he claims that's what upset Lili. Lili, on the other hand, has a very different story, as you can imagine. I spoke to him a bit earlier, too. And he says just that they are fed up with the provincial ANC leadership, Franzman and Songhezo Mjongile, and that they accuse them of being corrupt and only out for their own positions, that they have no quibble with national ANC leadership, but the provincial guys must go, and they don't want to see them at their marches, and, quote, they must go to hell. It's interesting politically ahead of the local government elections next year. I mean, it is probably roughly about 12, perhaps 13, 14 months away, and it's interesting to speculate how important Ses Corner is as mm. a... I mean, I very much doubt if they choose not to support an ANC candidate in a particular township ward that the DA is going to be able to take that mm. township ward because I don't think the DA has nearly enough support in black townships to think of taking too many of those wards. Mm. But if Ses Corner puts up a Ses Corner candidate then it gets really interesting as to what happens. I, I, I've always felt that Seth Connor was exaggerating their support just because they always promise a huge turnout for these marches, which is never realised. They've also claimed now that their next march, they're going to bring 300,000 people to Cape Town, which is absurd given that today they couldn't even get 1,000, I don't think. But the ANC clearly does take the threat of them withdrawing their endorsement quite seriously. In January, Jeff Khadebe met with Seth Connor leadership and announced that, you know, of peace had been formally brokered. We support Siskona, he said. And that, to me, suggested that they really do take the Siskona threat seriously. And partly, perhaps, because Siskona claims to have 80,000 paid-up members in the Western Cape, whereas the ANC has something like 30,000. I mean, that's a huge discrepancy. And um, if true, you can understand why the ANC would be spooked. Whether it is true, though, is where I have my sincere doubts. 
Yeah. Um, Anton has sent me a screen grab of a series of tweets around the hashtag cut for Clarkson. So there, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but I think they're seriously asking. <laughs> um, and you spent a couple of days at what sounds like a, a fairly interesting, if um, not particularly coherent, guns summit. It Firearm was, summit. It was interesting, John, mainly because I don't think a lot about guns. I don't have a gun. I don't know about you. Um, but I just, I think it's easy to underestimate just how fierce the debate about guns in this country is if you're not on one side of the lobbying. And it really is, I mean, it has distinct echoes of what's going on in the States and between the NRA and other groups. The kind of rhetoric, the kind of strategies employed are very similar, and a lot of the data is also drawn from the States. So you do see this very passionate pro-gun lobby in this country, which is made up not just of private gun owners, but of course, South Africa is one of the biggest security, private security industries in the world. So those guys, the sports shooting guys, hunters, etc. And what it amounts to is this group that will come out and lobby against any attempts at gun reform very, very hard. And we saw that this week. A bit of a gendered thing happening at that summit because a lot of the anti-gun activists tend to be women and the pro-gun activists tend to be men. They're not universally, in fact, the head of the Hunters Association, South Africa is a woman. And, um, but I, I mean, just the, the, the passion that this debate kind of induces in South Africa is really interesting. And also the, de- the desire for guns. So, I mean, I was absolutely shocked, call me naive, when the deputy police minister, Maggie Sochu, said yesterday that in Gauteng, every single day there are 10,000 applications for gun licenses. I mean, to me, that is just Unreal. 10,000 applications it, it, it per do, day. It doesn't seem unreal to me. I, I am, I don't have a gun. I would never have a gun. I am of the opinion that for most people, a gun makes you more vulnerable to violence than less vulnerable. But I can understand why in this country people would think that they are safer with a gun. So I quite understand mm. why they want a gun. And I think that under certain circumstances, people should be allowed to have a firearm for self-protection. I'm not universally anti, anti-individual anti gun ownership. I'm not. But I don't particularly want to live in, for instance, what Ria Pierre called a gun-friendly society. That's what she said we were striving for, a gun-friendly society. And there was also some talk of, you know, you must teach children not to pick up a gun, that this is what a gun is. And, you know, there's something about that that seems really twisted to me. I don't know if I want children growing up knowing what guns are, knowing to avoid them. I'd rather that they just didn't ever come in contact with guns or any weapons for that matter. But it's a frustrating debate to have in South Africa, John, because of this ongoing problem, which is the (coughs) lack of any reliable, basically any reliable locally relevant statistics. And that is why either side, I think, will never meet on the matter because they both use international stats in ways that suit them. And there's just very little evidence to show. So, for instance... But, I mean, that's also, sorry to interrupt, but that's Mm. true of the debate in America. Each side will take the same set of data and argue that it reinforces the position that they're espousing. That's true. But it seems a particular problem here just because there is so little research done. So, for instance, the anti-gun activists always cite this one study done which claimed to show that in South Africa you're four times more likely to have your gun taken from you and used against you than to use it in self-defense is one of their most favoured stats. Pro-gun lobby says that this premised on all sorts of faulty evidence and so forth. And, you know, you just get these two groups of people shouting at each other and nowhere really to meet because there's very little firm evidence. And it's not only true of gun ownership in this country, mm. the, the lack of reliable data which can inform. Uh, just, I mean, just before we get on to that, read this email. 
Australia banned automatic weapons. Since then, they've had no mass shootings. Mm, I'm, you know, um, I, I, mm. Australia's the kind of country where the number of people with automatic weapons, the number of people who want automatic weapons, the number of people who are prepared to supply automatic weapons is probably small enough for a ban to be reasonably successfully enforced. I mean, it's unimaginable that America would ban automatic weapons, and if they did, it's equally unimaginable that that ban would stick. No, quite. And the problem in South Africa is, I mean, what everyone says about gun laws is that criminals don't respect laws. So what's the point? And the other thing is that how much of this is attributed to guns per se and how much to crime? So, for instance, one of the more persuasive pieces of evidence, I thought, was the head of the paediatric trauma unit, Red Cross, coming in this week and saying that since they speeded up the processing of gun license applications, there has been a marked significant increase in the number of children coming into the Red Cross Children's Hospital with gunshot injuries, which to me seems unarguable. But it is arguable from the gun lobby who say children are getting shot more because of more crime, because of more poverty, because of more like social upheaval, not because of more guns. You know, that's where it's just a, it's an infuriating argument in some regards. (coughs) Excuse me, I have something in my my throat. The lack of data, <coughs> excuse me, the lack of credible data also mm-hmm. undermines reasonable arguments mm-hmm. on the basis, on the issues like teenage pregnancy. Yeah, I was thinking that this week because you may have seen that they, the DA just found out in response to a parliamentary question that 20,000 secondary school pupils and 717 primary school pupils fell pregnant during the year, which is a huge amount, although not unprecedented in recent years. And the DA wanted to know how many of these children, school children go back to school, and the answer was, we have no idea. We just do not keep that data. There's no clue how many school kids go back to, to school after becoming pregnant. And I think that's worrying. And then I came across something else this week, which is probably better known, but I wasn't aware of it. Which just, is that- just before you go on to that, the absence of data makes it easy for people to advance with conviction what I think is an evidentiary and an evidence unsustainable argument that girls, teenagers, 15, 16 years old, getting pregnant for social grants. Quite. In the absence of evidence, you can claim that and say, prove me wrong. Well, Quite. I can't. Quite well, exactly. There is one study at WITS which says it's not happening, but one study, please. Exactly. That's why we need this data, to refute that kind of social stigma as well. Um, the other thing that I found this week, as I was saying, is that South Africa called, keeps absolutely no recidivism stats, recidivism being the rate at which criminals re-offend, which I think is hugely, hugely important. I mean, how otherwise do we know if prisons work, if our criminal justice system works at all? There are absolutely no official recidivism figures for South Africa. And apparently one of the reasons, I read this in a paper by Nikro from last year, is that it's just not clear which government department should maintain those figures. So it just doesn't happen. The different departments don't use data management systems that interact. And so as a result, we have no idea how many people go to prison end up back in prison. By some, the estimates range from 24% to 94%, which I mean is so, so vast as to be meaningless. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> TRC's secret transcripts to be released for the first time? I wasn't aware of that. No, I haven't read about this anywhere. Um, the South African History Archive has been trying to get access to the TRC's secret transcripts for almost 15 years. So I'm sure your listeners will be aware that there were a few TRC hearings which took place in camera. 
and nobody really knows what went on there. And they include, for instance, um, the discussion of the Helderberg plane crash, the discussion of the crash that killed uh, Mozambican President Samora Michelle, Grasa Michelle's old husband, and the death of activists like Rick Turner. And all those discussions were held in camera and have never been released. The South African History Archive has been fighting to release them via protection of access to information requests and as of late last year have received those um, transcripts and are going to be releasing them over the next few months. So I think that could be very interesting, particularly around matters like the Helderberg crash. Yeah, the fact that the hearings were secret doesn't necessarily mean that information which would be entirely new to us and might change the way we think about any of these events might have been presented there. No, that's true. Um, they the, the idea was that it could, the reason some of these were classified as confidential was that it could cause material damage to those who had been guaranteed confidentiality um, and that it could maybe impact on prosecutions that were ongoing. So the fact that they have now um, agreed to release them perhaps suggests that neither of those scenarios are in in the picture, but I suppose we won't we won't have a full idea of exactly how damaging or uninteresting the information is until it's out there. www.rebeccadavis.sucks. Yes, I'm going to be snapping that up come Monday. As of Monday, I think it is Monday. You get the opportunity to buy the new domain name, which ends in .sucks. .sucks. KS. <laughs> and the reason you might want to do that, even though if you have no desire of start starting a website with that that title, is because somebody else might buy it. And so then you're faced with the harrowing prospect of um, somebody buying up johnmathan.sucks and devoting it entirely to critique of your work, John. And I mean, obviously. I cannot imagine. <laughs> Anybody I'm sure considering me important enough to bother? I reckon with. there are listeners taking yes. notes as I speak. Dot sucks, uh, but the, obviously for you and I, it's not. It's not particularly consequential. But for brands, obviously, it really is. And um, Coca Cola dot sucks. Yeah, right. And the I don't quite know how it works, but the company who's producing these domain names is basically holding people to to ransom because they're being sold off at very very high prices. But there are there's an international convention on domain names. It's a very complicated mm. technical process. Mm. And the fact that they're going on sale from Monday means that this international body, whatever, whatever it's called, has given permission for this domain name, .sucks. They have, and .porn, which is the other one that's coming into effect in the next few months, which also means, which is perhaps even more horrifying, that John .porn could, could become I, a reality. I, I can imagine <laughs> even less that somebody would want to go to johnmatham.porn than johnmatham.sucks. But um, obviously some, some damage to, to reputation of brands and so forth, so it'll be interesting to see how they decide to handle this this social media threat so yeah, we don't need to um, set up psychological counseling for you ahead of wednesday's zayn malik less <laughs> concert no we don't though i noticed you haven't responded to my idea that cape talk set up a helpline for for distraught teens well i'm not sure that too many distraught teens listen to cape talk <laughs> one could argue that if a teen has chosen to listen to cape talk they are <laughs> 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 Perhaps it's an idea for KFM. As I said, this really happened in 1995 when Robbie Williams left Take That. German radio station started a dedicated helpline for distressed teens and was flooded with calls. So um, there's an opportunity for, for someone to get in on the act there. Yippee, repo rate remains the same. It's If there are 10,000 applications a day in Johannesburg, it's 3.5 million a year. Not likely. 
So uh, somebody questioning Ria Bierger's stats. Well, it, we also have to take into account the, the backlog and so forth. Many, most gun owners in this country have multiple guns. There's some, just over one million gun owners, they think, own about twice that number of guns. And between 2010 and 2014, over three million licenses were actually granted. So I don't know how it actually works in terms of that gulf between having the licenses processed, but that's the application number, so the deputy minister claims. What about you, John? Why are you going to One Direction? Peter, I'm going to One Direction for the same reason that Rebecca is. I don't expect that I will enjoy their music tremendously much, what little I've heard of it. I mean, I wouldn't recognise if it, I wouldn't recognise a One Direction song if it snuck up and bit me on the bum. I really wouldn't. <laughs> but I, 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 I think that if there is a musical, a cultural phenomenon in mm-hmm. our city and one can afford a ticket, then one should go. So, you know, I went along to Lady Gaga. I, I would never knowingly listen to a Lady Gaga song ever, but it was an incredible very interesting concert <laughs> and an enjoyable one and I just really hope my daughter doesn't need a lift home after the One Direction concert because if she does I'll have to stay to the end <laughs> which I suspect I would not actually want to do and Rebecca to finish with Shannon has SMSed me to say a friend in Australia took her newly teenaged daughter and a friend to the One Direction concert as a birthday celebration Mom said, why are they taking so long? And daughter answered, they're doing their hair. Oh, Mom, I'm breathing the same air as Harry. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot wait to get some of that rarefied oxygen in my lungs next week, Jen. Rebecca Davis, thank you very much. Thanks.